So continuing on, Paul said, considered worthy of the kingdom. And that's what Jesus said when he said, when you attain, you'll be as angels. But he previously he said, those who are worthy to enter that kingdom. So he used that word, qualified, ready, worthy, following the Lord. He talked about mental ascent Christianity. Are you obeying the Lord? Are you following him? Are you suffering in the world, the flesh, and the devil to resist it? He said, then you'll be accounted worthy. So that's what happened. So he says, when you're being persecuted and afflicted as a Christian, you're being counted worthy. You're not falling away. You're not backsliding. And that's why he was so impressed with the Thessalonians. So what is it? Your affliction and harm for Christ's sake is proving that you are worthy of the future kingdom. You are doing good and living righteously with the help of the Spirit and Christ in you. So his righteousness is in you. But there's practical holiness. Many people talk about their position in Christ. Their position in Christ don't mean dog if you're not following him. If you're living in a gross sin, you have no position in Christ. See, they want the full assurance. There is none. There is no irresistible grace. He said, if you deny me, I'll deny you. He said, if you live this way, Paul named the 20 sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. He didn't say what you believed about Jesus or whether Jesus appeared to you 50 times. He said, if you live this way, you'll not enter the kingdom because you don't have the spiritual works. You don't have obedience and you don't have fruit. So your faith is vain. That's what Paul was talking. I mean, well, he did too. But James was saying, if you don't have those works, he's talking about spiritual work. He said, your faith is dead. Faith without works is dead. And Paul makes it plain. If you don't practice righteous living, he said, you know who your master is? He said, it's whoever you obey. He didn't say it's whoever you believe. That's part of it. He said, if you obey unrighteousness, that's who your master is. People love to get around that with the greasy graces. There ain't no way around it. He said, whoever you follow and obey, that's who your master. So if you follow wickedness, the devil's your master. You can confess Jesus all day long. It ain't going to help you. So they were looking at a practical, working Christianity, not a mental ascent like the Jews had. They believed they were special in the covenant, and because of the way they lived, they were adulterous and greedy and covetous. Jesus said, your father's the devil. And they thought they were the elite and the spiritual elite. And he said, your father's the devil. Your works prove who your father is. Okay? So Christianity is very plain. As I've said many times, in the first epistle of John, you can find seven or eight things to tell you whether you're a Christian or not. And he doesn't mention grace. He doesn't mention being born again. He doesn't mention God's grace. He just uses faith one time as an illustration. But in the context, he's not talking about being saved by faith. One of them is, if you hate your Christian brother, you're a murderer, and you know murderers have no eternal life in them. So if you hate another Christian and refuse to forgive him, you're not a Christian anymore. 
that you don't matter when you were born again, when you saw the Lord and how gracious he was. He says, you'll not make it. And if you don't obey, he said, if you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Well, that's two right there to tell you whether you're a Christian or not. See, people want to harp on one little, confess Jesus and you'll be saved. That's just part of the, that's not the gospel. See, they want to make it. Say this prayer real quickly. Get saved. Now you're okay. And I get a reward. You get a reward of punishment for preaching a false gospel. That's what you're going to get. Okay. And so those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall, don't say may, maybe, shall suffer conflict. And like I said, if you're not getting conflict from the world and things like you have to get conflict from your own nature, you have to put out, you have to resist the things of the world, the coveting, the want to be seen, want to keep up with the Joneses, all that's of the world. And it says, and the love of the Father is not in you, if that's what you're thinking. If you can't subdue the flesh, the lust of the flesh and the eyes, you're not going to make it into the kingdom. That's what overcoming is. Mm -hmm. So he tells you very plainly. So then when you look around, you say, oh, there's a lot of people say, Lord, Lord, but I don't see them doing these things. And if they're not working, James says, you got faith without works. He said, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. See, all three times he said, faith without works is dead. Don't fool yourself. And like I said often, in the next chapter, which the chapters weren't there, he immediately says, not many of you should be teachers, for we shall receive the stricter judgment. He just told them they were fools, those who taught faith without spiritual works. He said, you shouldn't be teaching, because in your erroneous teaching, even if you're a good Christian, Jesus said, if you teach some things, he wasn't talking about heresy, but misca he said, when you make it to heaven, you'll be the least in the kingdom of God. Those who expound and don't know what they're talking about. They haven't matured enough. They should not be teachers. Only mature people should be teaching. They should grow in the word and understand it and rightly handle it and be able to discern between good and evil, then they're qualified to teach one-on-one. -on -one. Every mature Christian should be able to share the gospel and the whole gospel. But everybody's not called to be a public minister or a public teacher. They're just different degrees of grace given for those things. So we will see then that one day God's going to judge these people. He's the God's righteous judgment. It's coming. And he's going to tell us who it's going to come on. But when the day of the Lord comes, everyone will stand in judgment, okay, for their works. And the final judgment, the goat and sheep nations, that means mainly how they're going to be judged as a whole is how they treated Christians. You're considered a goat nation if you didn't do anything. And you'll say, well, I didn't do nothing for them. And the Lord's going to say, that's why you're being judged. You did no good for them. And they were mine. You did no good to me. So you're no good. And then those who did good to the Christians, he said, uh, he'll reward them. 
because you, you, when I was afflicted and persecuted and all this, you helped me. You did things and you helped me because I'm in them. And see, we got to understand that, how God looks at things. He looks at Christ in us and links us with him. And so whatever they do to us as a Christian, they do to Christ. Okay, we got to remember that. Uh-huh. And we'll get back to this subject in a minute. So people and professing Christians, they avoid the subject of God's wrath. When you talk to a Christian, and he never mentions sin and wrath, he's a false Christian. He don't know Christianity. Oh, God is love. And God, I, a woman once, you know, when someone tried to witness to her, she was in a nursing home. Well, she cut her right off. Well, here's what I believe. He'll always say, I forgive. Well, that's not true. That woman's probably in hell now. The woman was trying to give it a true gospel, but she didn't want to hear it. Oh, he'll always say, I forgive. Well, you've been lied to. He don't. He only uh, forgives what's forgiven, what's confessed, and when a person turns to the Lord. Every idle word you did, old lady, you're going to answer for all those years. And just because you thought God was wonderful, you can find out about the wrath of God. And that's why you're going to weep and gnash your teeth in eternity when you realize how hopeless and stupid you were. See, that's what deception does to people. You hear that all the time. Well, I believe this. I believe it's not based on God's word. So when people won't talk about hell, Jesus, in his 39 or 40 parables, 25% had to do with God's judgment and hell and punishment. He ought to know. He made it. He talked more on hell than any apostles did. Uh He warned about it. He made it. People need to listen to what he's talking about. Okay? So he says, serve the Lord with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling are awesome fear of God that if you sin against him, he'll reject you. It don't matter who you are. He said he's not to be trifled with. You cannot come against his holiness. I don't care who you are. The highest angel did it, and he got cast out and became the devil. And Jesus said, I saw him as lightning fall from heaven. Once God allowed them to be tested, one-third of the angels he found unworthy, and in a moment of time, they were cast down out of heaven, and their nature was completely changed. Lucifer means light-bearer. He was the covering cherub. He was as close to God as any created being. And he became what? Satan, which means my adversary, the devil, the serpent. All of that happened in a moment of time once God judged and removed his holiness from him. So he hasn't changed. God speaks, and the word of God speaks more of God's holiness than his love, his righteousness, That's one of the first things that presents to you that the Lord your God is a holy God. And love and justice and righteousness and mercy proceed from that. They do not nullify that. God's love does not nullify his wrath. He's the same yesterday and today. And everybody wants to run to Jesus because they think Jehovah was hard in the Old Testament. Well, when he returns to judge the world, it said it's going to be the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus is going to come as a king and a judge, and there's going to be no mercy. He's going to destroy the wicked of the world in judgment and wrath. 
because he's God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Almighty God. See, he's one with him. So we see then, we need the whole counsel of God. And so often they like to avoid those subjects. And one of the good, used to be good denominations, they had a rule, at least once a year, the minister had to preach a hard sermon. Well, they're lost. You preach the whole gospel of God, no one tells you, oh, I just got to scare them one time a year. You're a hypocrite and you deceive denomination and God's going to hold you accountable. We preach the whole word of God all the time. The whole counsel of God or you're preaching a false gospel. Okay? And he says what? God in general to man. He is love and kindness. He's extending. The love of God is basically goodwill. It's not an emotion, basically. God has emotion and feeling, but it's not the it's not the foundation. He has goodwill and he wishes even the wicked to turn. Jesus said he's good to the evil and the unthankful. They're not in hell. He hasn't judged them that day, and he righteously can do that anytime. But he lets them live out their life, a lot of them. He said he's good to the evil and unthankful. That's his good will. And hopes that they'll consider them lives and their conscience and turn to the Lord. He told the Jews that. Paul said, you're storing up wrath. He's been patient and long, and you're willful and stubborn against him. He said, but you're storing up wrath. It means every day that God gives you grace, you'll be punished for that grace you didn't yield to. That's justice. So those who've been given more light and more privileges, they're going to go to a greater hell. Peter said it's better not to have known the way. It's better not to have been saved than to backslide. The general sinner will not be punished as much as you will because you trampled the blood of Christ twice. And God's remembering this. He's remembering the grace. And that's why the angels that fell are irredeemable. He gave them the best. They sinned and rebelled without an old nature luring them like mankind has inherited a corrupted nature. But even in that state, God shows mercy and he shows grace to them. He expects certain things from them and certain things he knows they're not going to do. But the angels, no, there is no redemption. And man is not totally depraved. He would be a demon. And God began to deal with him. When Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't consciously say, I'm going to side with the devil. They didn't even know who the devil was. And they were tricked into thinking because the serpent, the devil through him, deceived them and said, well, there's knowledge and stuff that God just doesn't want you to have now. And they began to thwart that. <laughs> they began to, they didn't think of, the, oh, I'm rebelling against God and I'm against him. I want to know things better. And when they were pursuing with their own thinking, and as Eve said, when God asked her, what did you do? And she said, the serpent tricked me, deceived me. And I listened. So she acknowledged she was tricked. He lied to her and twisted the truth. And she wanted that knowledge so bad, she sort of forgot. And the actual translation is, the devil caused me to forget. And that how people sin often? 
they get lured by some sin and they forget the duty to God. They forget what they're to do. They're looking at that and they forget other things. And that's what the world, the flesh, and the devil try to do to people, sidestep them. And that's why we have to uh, walk closely with the Lord and listen to the Spirit that warns us. So anyway, he has love and goodwill. God is good to the evil and thankful. Like I say, or they'd be in hell the first time they sinned. The Word of God speaks more of God's holiness than any other attribute. But holiness demands God's punishment of an evildoer. Okay? Now, everybody knows this scripture. It's the most popular known scripture by sinner and saint in the whole world. And it's always been, let's go read it. And people read it as if it's the only word of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everybody knows that. But in the same context, we forget. Down at verse 36, it states to us, 336, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe, and that word believe is in conjunction with the word obey, as obeying and believing the gospel, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Well, how come you never hear that? That should be the number two most popular verse in the world. See, but people are lopsided. And they only want to believe what they want to believe. It's called mishandling the word of God. So those who do not come to the Son, and that's the majority of mankind, are going to be punished in everlasting punishment, and that's the wrath of God. Now, you don't hear much people talk about that. You would think they'd talk about it more if most people are going to hell, wouldn't you? Oh, but they don't. Let's just talk about God's love. And let's give a positive word. I used to have these people tell me, I only want to hear a positive word. I said, well, you're going to hell. I purposely stir them up. I said, because you will not be admonished. You're stubborn and willful, and you want to believe what you want to believe. Well, you do that. But you're going to stand speechless when God consigns you to the lake of fire. And all of your sins, and then the knowledge of it's going to come, and the devil won't be able to deceive you and your own nature won't be able to deceive you, and you will weep and wail, not only for the punishment of hell, but for the helplessness and the stupidity that you believed and lived, okay? So it's just the true, all of the word of God. So for God so loved the world does not nullify the wrath of God abides on those who don't believe in the Son. They're in perfect harmony. You can't have one without the other. So people want the love of God, but they don't want to talk about his holiness and justice. Oh, we want grace, irresistible grace, so you can live in your sins and do as you please because you revealed you still have an evil heart. You're not changing. You're not putting on the new man. You're still listening to the old. And if you listen long enough, he takes over. And the Spirit of Christ, if you're a Christian, leaves you. The spirit of grace leaves you because he don't tolerate certain things, okay? 
So you can't pick and choose what you want to believe about the Word of God. The Word of God, the whole Word of God, if rightly handled, is the truth. And when you start taking verses out of context, you are a heretic, and you have misinterpreted God's Word. And that's what most professing Christian ministers do in the dark times that we live in. Oh, they quote a lot of scripture, but they mishandle it and they don't use it rightly because they want to be liked. See, they're still of this world. They don't want to suffer for Christ's sake. They knew they won't have good congregations and lots of money and popularity, so they have to have itching ears and give the people what they want and they'll take care of you and pay you well. But you'll end up in the lake of fire for misrepresenting God and being evil. That's how he's going to deal with it. Verse 6, For after all, after everything's said and done, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. See? Every idle word, everything a person does against a Christian, if he doesn't come to the Lord, God's going to punish him for it. He's going to measure out justice. Everything. See, most people don't even remember from week to week what they did wrong. God doesn't forget anything. He sees everything under heaven. He knows the motive, the intent, the thinking of the... He knows what people are going to do before they do it. Not simply because he may have foreknowledge the brain takes a split second to make decisions. And in that little bit of time, God already knows the decision before your will has decided, oh, I'll do this. He already saw that. He knows the intent and the motive. Nothing's hidden from him, it says. All things are naked to him. When God looks at the universe, he says there's no light or darkness. He sees it all. It doesn't obscure him. See, we're limited to a certain light range, visible light. He ain't. Nothing. He sees whatever there is to see. He knows whatever there is to know. He doesn't learn. He has it. And we cannot have a concept. So he warns us. Everything you do, and my holiness and justice, I have to deal with, and I desire to deal with it. He ain't sitting there crying over it. He wants to be just and holy, and he will be, and he'll not alter that for nobody. If he didn't do it for the highest angel in heaven, he's not going to do it for some Christian. That's why he warns them to stay with the Lord and serve him with fear and trembling. You're no better. You may think you are, but if you sin against me like Lucifer did, I'll punish you like I did Lucifer. So people need the, that's the fear of the Lord. For the Christian to fear the sin against him, because that's the only thing that's going to separate you from God. Nothing else will separate you but sin. So the world and the flesh and the devil must be overcome in this probation that we're under. We're being tested. Oh, many people say, oh, I, I don't believe in probation. You know, it's all just saved by grace. That's because you have been deceived. You want to believe that. But you read the Old and New Testament, everything. 
while we live here is to give an account and to prove our faithfulness and loyalty so it will never be tested again. The two-thirds of the angels that did not fall, they'll never be tested again. They don't have to be. And they had no sin in them. Then they remained sinless and holy. So once we enter the kingdom, it says the former things will pass away. If there's no devil and demon and the old flesh will be left here if we're raptured, it'd be impossible to sin. Why? Because it says we're partakers. See, here we're partakers of the Spirit of God, the nature of God. There it's permanent. There'll be no tempter. There'll be no flesh. And what do the angels do that never fail? Jesus said, they always do the will of my Father. They never disobey. They consciously do not sin, and they do not have any inner desire to sin. So in a sense, it's impossible then. They're fixed. Now the church, one of the churches, the Lord said, if you overcome, I'll make you a pillar in my temple. That means you're fixed. And he says, and you will not go in and out anymore. You're there forever. There's no possibility of you being removed. And people say, oh. And, and then if they read a little further, it says, God and the Lamb are the temple. <laughs> They're fixed in God to a way as Christ is. And so there'll never be sin, anything like it, ever allowed in the universe. That will be confined to the lake of fire and the angels and Christ will see the smoke of God's holiness and justice on wicked beings forever. That's what they're going to see, okay? To remind them of God's holiness and who he is. So we are seeing that when Paul was on the road to Damascus persecuting Christians, the Lord appeared to him and said, why do you persecute me? And he said, well, who are you? When he said Lord, he wasn't recognizing him as he knew it was a superior being, an angel or something. It was just a matter of courtesy. He did later believe he was Lord. He said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. So Jesus is telling us, when you mess with my people, you mess with me. And you may get away with it in this life, but a God will store it up and punish you later. He don't forget nothing in his holiness and justice. So he says, you persecute me. And that astounded Paul. He thought he was serving Jehovah. He thought he was, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He thought the Christians were false and Jesus was a false prophet and he was wrong. And he got straightened out very quickly, didn't he? Uh -huh. So when he afflicted the Christians, he was afflicting Christ. Look at Romans chapter 2. Oh, we've been there many times. Most people don't like it, but that's the way it is. Romans 2, 7 and 9. Eternal life for those who by continuance and patience and perseverance in doing good, they seek for glory, honor, and immortality. He's speaking of a Christian here, okay? But to those who are self-seeking, and do not obey the truth. Other uh, scripture, other readings, uh, other places do not obey the gospel because that's the truth. 
but they obey unrighteousness. This is Paul talking. It's what they obey. He said, what is for them? Indignation, that means contempt by God, disregard, no favorable opinion. Wrath, God's pouring out punishment and his anger against evil and sin. Tribulation, troubles and anguish, weeping and gnashing of teeth on every soul who does evil. That's how he is now. He ain't changed. This is written in Romans. This is after Jesus' gospel. And what did Jesus say? I have many things to say to you that you cannot bear. But when the Spirit comes, he'll show you. He did it through the apostles and the foundation layer. I have people tell me, well, I only listen to Jesus' word. I said, then you're getting a false gospel. You're you're getting something incomplete. Because he told you, you can't understand many things until I'm glorified. Until I leave my body, go to heaven, and then the Holy Spirit sends me. I am the Spirit, and I enter them. He told Peter, I am with you, you disciples, but I shall be in you. Well, see, under the gospel, while he was in the body, he couldn't do certain things. He was limited. But he did the will of God, what God required. But he said, it's better that I go away. So if people don't study the epistles, the gospel is worthless to them. The gospel gives the foundations of the new covenant. And the epistle shows you how it's done because the Spirit comes. He didn't come while Jesus was in his body. He hadn't given up, given up as a sin offering and hadn't been resurrected, and therefore the Father hadn't sent him yet. Okay? So holiness and justice demand punishment of sin and the sinner. Okay? Another scripture we've gone to, people don't like to talk about. Oh, that's not love. Well, it's because you don't know what love is. You're into sentimentality that'll send you to hell. I know people love their cat and dogs more than they love people. They have inert affections, and they're going to hell. Nothing wrong with loving a pet, but not above people. And many people do, okay? Romans 12, 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves but rather give place to wrath. And he quotes the old, for it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay. So he warns the Christian, don't overcome evil by evil. You leave it alone. God will take care of it. Whatever they don't get forgiven and come to the Lord, I remember all of this. It's not in your business. You suffer for my name's sake, and then I'll punish those who persecuted me. See, that's what he's going to do in his justice and holiness eventually. Everything's going to be handled properly. So God will avenge all sin and evil. He will avenge his people who've suffered and were afflicted by the world. The world will pay for it. They will get justice for their sins. The wages of sin is death, and that's what they're going to get for doing evil for persecuting Christ and God, who is in his people. See? He links himself with them. And, verse 7, and to give relief to you who are afflicted 
and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire. And so, uh, what is he saying? Relief, uh-huh. He will come with his angels. Now here he's probably not talking about the rapture. He's talking about the second coming when he comes as a king and a judge. We'll talk about that a little later. He will come with his angels and flaming fire, judgment, and destroy the wicked people of the world, the sinners. That's going to be right before he establishes the millennium reign. It's going to be with righteous people. All the wicked are going to be destroyed. And then they're going to reproduce and live a thousand years. And at the end, most of them are going to rebel. But it's their own fault. It isn't God's. Uh-huh. Okay. So he came as prophet, teacher, and savior. Okay. And then when he left and returned to heaven, as he is now, he acts in his humanity and his godhood. He acts as intercessor and high priest. That's his basic ministry right now. But when he returns, he will come as a king and a judge. Mercy and grace are over. When the master stands up and shuts the door, that's it. When God closed the door on people, there's no more grace or mercy. It runs its course. Many people trying to get saved on the deathbed. I believe them very few. There's no scripture. They fear punishment. And that ain't the reason to get saved. That's part of the godly sorrow works repentance. Earthly sorrow is remorse and it works judgment. So when people are caught by the police and the judge, they are remorseful for what they've done because they know they're going to be punished. But many of them, if they were freed and excused, they go out and do the same things because there's no repentance in them. They're just sorry they got caught. And that's what's going to happen. Many people won't deny the Lord and don't want to have nothing to do with religion. And they want a, a priest or a preacher come in the middle of the night and secretly get them saved. That don't happen. If the Lord saved those people, he'd keep around several months in their dying pain so they could testify how good God was to them and how gracious he was. That's what would happen, okay? So we'll come then. Remember Noah preached 120 years and then God shut him and his family in the ark and shut the world out. The scripture says God shut the door. Didn't say Noah shut the door because God was saying, oh, it don't matter. You may have people beating on the boat and it rains. Let me in. I believe, I believe. Noah couldn't help him if he wanted to. Nothing he could do for him. That was God's business, not his. Okay. So he shut them out and drowned them. Okay? So grace has a time period. It's called probation. It's called suffering. And people keep playing with it and playing. I'm sure many people in hell are going there because they planned on getting right one day. After I've lived my life, and saved money, and did this, then I'll sort of serve the Lord. It don't work that way. He don't need you then. See? You have to be the Lord's immediately, and you have to stay with him. He's not interested in those kind of people. Oh, but he'll accept. No, you have no scripture that says that. Proverbs, Psalms, and their scripture. 
He talks about those who delay and the fool that despises God. And God says he'll even despise their prayer. And in the moment they die and the terror's on them, Proverbs says God will mock their terror. He's not offering them salvation. He said he'll mock. God is only reported laughing four or five times. And three or four times he's mocking the wicked who mocked him and who despise the righteous. See, because terror and fear is a consequence of their sinful life. And when Jesus returns as the king, the majority of people are going to try to flee, and they're going to run and beg for the mountains to fall on them. It says, to hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. They know what's coming, and there's no place to run. And then he will consume them with the word. They will die and go to hell. See? They have no good word for them. He has no good word for them. When the professing Christian says, Lord, Lord, he says, you're cursed of my father. He, it's not a pleasant word to them. He doesn't say, oh, I'm so sorry, but I have to send you to hell. He exercises God's holiness. He despises their soul. The scripture says he despises the soul of the wicked. See, he hasn't changed. And that's why Paul keeps telling us we are saved from God's wrath, the Christian. So let's now go ahead and we're going to take a break here, stopping at verse 7. Lord, give us wisdom, give us the whole counsel, help us to rightly handle the word in this dark time when most people who claim to be Christians and most churches, they are not. It's left up to the candlesticks to be the holders of the truth. Give us grace in Jesus' name. Amen.